0: Mailbag, nothing personal word of the day. Thank you for engaging with nothing personal. We are back with another episode that is generated entirely by you, for you. Questions that have come through Twitter at David P. Sampson or Instagram or TikTok or anywhere else you can find me or Coca. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing and doing all the things that you do. I am very appreciative, so is Matt and we are giving you content and shows while we are on a little break, which you will hear about and know about. But in the meantime, let's get right to it. Dear Samson, not a perfect start. Reminds me a little bit of grade school, but here we go. I'm new to your show. You recovered. You win. Call me anything you want. Just don't. Call me late for dinner. I'm new to your show and love it. Two questions. All right, that may be too many. If you were a second year college sophomore like my son and were interested in sports administration, knowing what you know now, what would you do? Let's do the first question first before I even read the second question. A second year college sophomore, that's redundant. The first thing I would do is make sure that your son is clear when describing himself, not to call him a second year sophomore. But I digress. Here's what I would do. If I had a dollar for every person who said to me they wanted to get into sports administration, I'd have many, many, many dollars. People view sports administration as the career that they think it is because they get to be involved in sports teams. Here's the path, go into business. It doesn't matter what your business is. When you say sports administration, I say business. Are you saying baseball operations? If I had a dollar for everybody who wanted to get into baseball operations, I wanna be a GM. Here's how the letters go. Dear David, my whole life I've wanted to be a GM of a team. I need to know, what can I be doing right now? Great question. Have you contacted every single minor league and major league team? Have you contacted every single minor league and major league team in another league? Basketball, baseball, football, hockey, lacrosse, soccer. Women's soccer, field hockey. Swimming, bowling, lawn darts, regular darts. Get my drift? The number of people who apply to baseball jobs who get a job, it's the same thing as winning an Oscar. There are hundreds of applications for every job available at a baseball team. And the pay stinks. And the reason the pay stinks is that there's always someone else who wants to do your job and is ready to do your job and can do your job. So how do you differentiate yourself? What is it that you can do that gives you an opportunity? What path? That's what people are asking. Give me the path, give me the shortcut. It's pretty simple actually. What connections do you have? What are you doing to meet people in the industry? And I don't mean going to a game and buying a hot dog. Are you going to any chamber of commerce events? Are you finding any points of contact on LinkedIn, online? Are you applying online? Are you using your brain to say, wow, going to the winter meetings, that's what everybody does, shoving a resume in somebody's face, they just throw it away. What are you doing to be different? Everybody hires somebody who they think will help them do their job better and give them more time off. If you want to become an intern in baseball operations, show that you can add value by giving the team a chance to win an incremental game or a chance to save an incremental dollar. If you're looking to get into the front office of business as a CFO or in sales or in finance, marketing, you don't need to start at a sports team. You need any sort of experience, but then the real riddle how do I get experience when everybody says that I need experience? That is the oldest excuse in the history of ineffectiveness. I can't seem to get any job because everyone requires three to five years experience. No. The people who require three to five years experience, that's one bucket of jobs. There are other buckets that require zero to zero years experience. I laugh at the people who start at the bottom because they're the smartest ones. They're starting at companies, they're doing things. No nepotism, no nothing, just work ethic. I told you what ails me. What ails me is I started with nepotism and acted as though I started with nothing. It's what keeps this nothing personal going. It's why we do so many shows. We don't have to do this many. Coca works harder than any other producer and I work harder than any other host. And the reason I do is that I want you to know that it's not about how much money you have. It's not about where you're working. It's about what is the respect that you have for what you're doing. If you are working at a job and you're spending your entire time trying to find another job, you're never going to succeed. You have to be present where you are, be the best at what you're doing, add value in a way that is not easily copied by those around you. And then your career will unfold. A college sophomore has about 10 stops and starts at least before he, she, or they can figure out what they're doing, where they're doing it, or how they're doing it. There is no one path. It's like asking a founder of a company, an entrepreneur, tell me, I'm dying to know, and they do this at conferences all the time. Question from the audience, yes. Mr. Gates, can you tell me how you built Microsoft? Well, it started in my garage. And I felt like computers may be a cool thing because I was pretty nerdy. Seriously, for every Bill Gates, there's 100,000 people who did exactly what he did, didn't make it because they didn't figure out the right way to do it, weren't smart enough, didn't have the right timing, the right moment, whatever the case may be. There is no such thing as an overnight success. There's no such thing. Even when I started as executive VP of the Expos, running the team, I'd had years running a business. I'd had a law degree. You can't just open your eyes, even with a connection, and say that that's going to be your life. And when baseball was my life, I did, I had it, did it, and then immediately started again in the media world, working the same amount, hard, not getting it right every time not knowing where the path ends. Right now, my past at Metalark with nothing personal, still doing CBS, guesting on this show or that show. Who knows what's next? Maybe something, maybe nothing, maybe something totally different, maybe something I can't even think of right now. So the best thing you can do for your second year college sophomore is to ease up his pressure. These kids today, for the life of me, I don't know why, The pressure they feel to figure it out faster than everybody else, to figure out their entire path in a more clear way than everybody else, you're setting yourself up for failure. What's wrong with not exactly knowing your plan? I can't figure out in my mind why people wanna know what the path is how I manifest my interest, what I would do? There's no answer. You want to be in sports administration? You got to start. Don't tell me that you won't move to any particular city. That's my favorite one. I want to be in sports, but I only want to stay in New York. It's a bunch of poppycock. You got to be willing to move anywhere at any time. You want to be in the arts? Be in the arts, be ready, failure, poverty. Same with sports. What industry is there no failure? What industry is there no poverty? Investment banking? Don't be ridiculous. There's plenty of investment bankers who get fired, who don't make the million-dollar bonuses. I can't think of one industry as I sit here today. Give me a minute, Coca. Let me see if I can think of something. I'm looking for an industry which has zero failure. Let me think. Let me think. Anybody, Coke, could you have one for me? I got nothing. I can't, hold on. Oh, the Mr. Softy trucks? No, no, those can fail. Yes, they can. Oh, McDonald's franchise. That's a pretty good one. I like that. Oh, Chick-fil-A? that's open on Sundays? It's a good one too. Now that can fail. Trust me, franchises fail all the time for these big name brands. I assure you. So that's my answer to your first question. Do you want me to not answer your second question? Do you feel like that wasn't a good enough answer? That you wanted me to give you an entire roadmap like Nicholas Cage and National Treasure? That we're gonna find maps that go to a clue? It's exactly like that. It's just another clue. You're never gonna find it, holy cow. I turned the lights on and I found it. It's amazing, we're rich. Yeah, that's just how it works. Second question, I read recently that insurance covers some or all of an injured player's salary that the organization would otherwise have to pay. Is that true? This is a very good question. Thank you very much, Kevin, for asking that. We've touched on it a little bit in previous episodes of Nothing Personal, but I don't think we have in one place given you a full and complete insurance conversation for what happens. When you sign a player in free agency or acquire a player by trade in the offseason, we always say it's pending physical. During the season, it's pending exchange of medical. The difference is during the season, the player's either playing or not playing, and you're making a trade, and the trainers talk. They send every note, unless you're the Padres, in which case they don't send you every note. They only send one part of their notes. But you get the notes, the doctor looks, the trainer looks, and that's the end of it. And the point of it is very simple. The point of it is that you are trying to ascertain during a season, whether or not the player's healthy enough to last the season, or if you have them for an extra couple of years, whether or not the risk is worth it. But during the off season, it's pending physical. We do physicals for our players. We have a doctor, they go right to University of Miami, let's say, pick your hospital, doesn't matter what. And they get their blood. There's like stations. Have I told you the story of physicals? Coke, have I told you the spring training physical story? Have you ever heard that? Can I go off the subject here and tell you my spring training physical story? It's a whole Megillah. I can't really hear you right now. I don't know if that's because my ears are so stuffed or if you're not even here. But either way, I'm gonna do it. I'm giving you my physical story. The physical story is that (laughs) you announce your date. So spring training, it's actually under the collective bargain agreement is how many days before your first spring training game, you can open camp. That's why the majority of teams open on the same day. You can open a day later, save a little money because every day that your camp is open, you're spending per diem on players, you're spending money on staff, etc. But spring training starts And the first day is physicals, because every player is not allowed to take the field until they pass their physical. We bring the physical to spring training. There are different stations. There's an eye station. There is a uh, blood station. There's a urine station. There's a ortho station. And there's an anal station. Yes, it's true. If you are over 40, you're getting checked. Moon River. Everybody gets blood. Everybody has to give a sample of urine. Everyone gets their eyes checked and everyone gets their teeth checked. We got the dentist there. They're looking for cancer. They're not filling any cavities. They're looking for any cancer from all the tobacco that's chewed by baseball players. Eyes are making sure that we don't have a Charlie Sheen situation whose name in Major League I forgot, where he needed glasses because he couldn't get his command. The blood is to check everything, cholesterol, thyroid, PSA, TSA, pre-check, clear, global entry. There's some global entry, all right. We're checking to see if players are sick. So players come and show up to the first day of spring and they're all looking good. They're young and they're fit. But on the first day of physicals, we always allowed our staff to get physicals. We wanted them to be healthy. VPs and above and baseball people. It's your manager. It's your coaches. It's your GM, your assistant GM. We're all getting physicals. Here come these players. Their shirts are off. They're in their their baseball underwear. And then come the executives a bunch of floppy looking people. And I was always upset about that. I always wanted to look as good as the players or I wanted to be as healthy as the players. So I took my physical very seriously and we would have contests. Who's got the lowest cholesterol? Who's got the best bad cholesterol, the worst? Like we'd keep track who's on lipid or who's not. It was a whole Megillah. Who's got trace blood in their urine? Who can't touch their toes? You get an echocardiogram. What's your resting heart rate? We'd have competitions. So we would make sure you don't eat after midnight the night before physical. You go lie down for the echocardiogram. They put stuff on your chest and then they take your echocardiogram, make sure your valves are clean or your blood is flowing, whatever the hell it is. But it also takes your pulse. And so I would always want to get the lowest heart rate because that means you're in shape. And I always want to get the lowest cholesterol because that means you're eating well. And I'm happy to say that in 18 years of taking physicals, never missed a year, that I had the lowest cholesterol more than once and under 18 times. I had the lowest heart rate more than once, but not 18 times. Heart rate, when you're taking the EKG, it can change because you're anxious. So you try to do breathing exercises. It's so ridiculous, right? It's a snapshot of a moment. They don't even focus on it. But when you're training for marathons and doing the stuff you do, you generally have a low heart rate. So my resting heart rate is usually in the 40s. And if you're overweight and out of shape, you can have a resting heart rate in the 90s, which is not good. It means your heart is working that much more every beat. So lower heart rates are good, but too low, not good. It could mean that you're not breathing or you're gonna croak. So these physicals happen and we get an idea, we get the report back, we get our own report And then we get all the player reports. And the doctors will tell us who passed the physical, who didn't pass the physical. Then we allow the players to take the field if they pass. And then we will decide, do they make the team? Do they not make the team? Those are team physicals. If you want to get insurance on a player, they need to take what's called an insurance physical. Totally different. What the people in the insurance world are doing, and this is me being maybe, maybe a little cynical, but damn, I'm telling you I'm right. Insurance companies, and let me ask, are you finding this with your insurance? If you're a day late and a dollar short with your premium, you're screwed. If you need them to help you cover something, an exam, a health issue, you're screwed. The number of times we had to sue an insurance company to try to collect insurance of various things, DNO insurance for that's directors and officers for things that are going on off the field, trying to get insurance on a player. The policy for the player, they look at the results of the physical and they say to you, hey, he's got some fraying in the ligament of his elbow. Hey, his hamstring doesn't look good. His kidneys make him seem he's 50 years old. Guy drinks too much. They go through all the different ways that they want to make sure that you understand that if this player gets hurt, that these pre-existing conditions will make it so that we are not going to pay you. But we're going to charge you hundreds of thousands of dollars per year in premiums, and you're going to pay it on time. God, do I sound bitter. Let me try a different approach. Four, six, nine. I love insurance companies. I appreciate the fact as a shareholder in insurance companies that they are doing whatever they can to maximize profit. And the way that they maximize profit is by screwing individuals. They make sure that you have a hard time. Oh, no, that's totally the same as what I was saying, Coca. Hold on, let me try this approach. This may be better. All right, here we go. 26984. The thing about insurance companies is they're there for you when you really need them. If you have an emergency, if you have a problem, they will not flood you with paperwork. They will simply pay the bills to all of your doctors, and your insurance will cover whatever's required to make sure that you get the treatment that you want when you want it, when you need it, to get you as healthy as you can be and live as long and full of life as possible. Was that a good commercial for insurance companies? Yeah, it doesn't quite work that way. Did you listen to the first three parts of what I said? Which one sounded more on point? So the way it works with player insurance, if you sign a picture to a long-term deal, you can get insurance for that player, but then the player has to get hurt has to miss a year and then not be hurt with any preexisting injury. And then they'll start covering you the second year because your deductible is a year's worth of their salary. So you're paying the premium. You're thinking, I hope the guy doesn't get hurt. And then the guy does get hurt. You're not getting paid back the salary that you're paying a guy not to play for you, but you're building up your deductible. Deductible. It's one of the biggest scams ever, the concept of deductible. That's out of pocket. Oh, but we'll cap your out of pocket. Yeah, we'll cap it at a year's worth of salary for a guy who tweaks his shoulder labrum or toe or head or knee or shoulder. It's bad business until it's not. The way the majority of teams do it is they self-insure, which is code word for they don't do squat. Self insuring means that you're going to carry a player who doesn't play and is hurt on your payroll and there's nothing you can do about it. All these people who have Tommy John, all of that stuff, that's all self insured. I don't want to say that. That's too blank in a statement. The overwhelming majority of teams self insure. So when you ask me, does insurance cover some or all of an injured player's salary? Negative. Third question. We're still on Kevin, this is like a whole show for Kevin. Do you think the Padres were compensated for Tatisa's indiscretion? Ooh, 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 ooh. thank you for asking. Guess what's not covered in any insurance policy you may have? Uh, steroids, except when you're suspended for steroids, you're not paying the player. So there's no need for insurance when someone's out because of steroids. Now, if you're talking about his motorcycle accident, you have an opportunity to not pay the player, but you're gonna get a grievance. If the player participated in an activity that is a activity expressly prohibited by the terms of their player contract, then you may enforce that and not pay the player. But like insurance companies, there will be hell to pay. There will be red tape. There will be grievances galore. So the Padres were not compensated for time. Tatis missed, except when he was suspended, in which case, in theory, they were compensated because they could spend the money on all the other players they got, which they did. And now Tatis is back. And the Padres still stink, which makes me happy. Not petty. I'm not going to let you get away with that. I hear you. I just heard what you said. My dislike of the Padres is not petty. It is born of years. It's like asking you, is there someone you don't like or a company you don't like? Why? What's the reason? Oh, you had a bad experience? You don't like flying spirit? I wonder why. Why is it not okay for you to say it? I had a bad experience with the Padres, so I don't like them. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet 5 bucks kansas 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction in ontario bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance see dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions terms and responsible gaming resources
1: this episode is brought to you by la quinta by window
0: Hi, David. Hello. How much financial value do you believe this kid lost by just settling for some merch in exchange for Ellie de la Cruz's first career home run ball? Also, what's the most absurd ask you've heard in exchange for a milestone ball? Love it. Thank you for that question. Let me bring it back. God, is it a month now? I can't remember the first date. Ellie De La Cruz is the phenom for the Cincinnati Reds. Called up, drafted international, not drafted, a, a international sign. He has done an amazing job with the Reds. And a while back, he hit his first home run. And there was a lot of stuff on Twitter and on social media. And I assume that's what you're referring to. The guy who caught his first home run ball ended up trading the ball for the following a meet and greet with Dela Cruz, signed baseballs by Dela Cruz for the guy who caught the ball and the people he was with at the game, pictures of Dela Cruz signed for the guy who caught the ball and his friends at the game, a signed bat and a signed hat. Let me start here. Not one penny was spent by Dela Cruz in this exchange. It may be one of the most unfair trades of all time. The way a trade is supposed to work is that you give to get. What Dela Cruz gave players as a matter of course, they get bats, they get hats. I guess they're saying they gave his autograph and his autograph can then be monetized, sold on the secondary market. The start of a memorabilia collection. I guess that's true. So in in a way, he diluted his worth of his autograph by giving things away. A meet and greet happens after a game where you shake hands. We have players do it every single game. We do meet and greets before games, after games. We bring in people into the clubhouse. Hey, spend three minutes with this guy. He spends money on the team. We spend money on you, the player. They don't care about us, the executives. They want to see you. We bring people on tours of the clubhouse. Bring them onto the field during BP. It's an entire cottage industry. Who gets to be on the field for BP? Spoiler alert, it's based on how much money they spend with the team. Of course, you can do some charity stuff too. The baseballs that he signs, he got from the team. No big deal. Pictures, he got them from the team. Bats and hats from the team. So does that make it a bad deal? What do you think the worth is of Ellie De La Cruz's home first home run ball? Let's pretend for a second that Ellie De La Cruz is Albert Pujols. Is he? What are the chances he's Albert Pujols? 0. No, no let me be let me be fair to him cuz he's had such a good start as a rookie. 0. But you never know. Fine. I'll give in, 0.01. And this is not me telling you that De La Cruz is a bad player. This is me telling you that home run balls and their value are dependent on a career. If you have a home run ball, the first career home run of Wes Helms, I love you, Wes, but the first career home run ball for Wes Helms, it's not worth the leather of the ball. So the odds of the Dela Cruz home run being actually worth something is really not that high. But David, people argue, memorabilia like art, like many things, is really only worth what somebody will pay for it. We see all these baseball cards who get so much Like NFTs, people bought the NFT for 400 grand and sold it the next day for 200 grand. Way to go, genius. Oh, I got rich. I bought GameStop. Give me a break. If you're catching a home run ball and you're trying to put your kids through college with De Dilla Cruz's home run ball, I got news for you. Get a second job. But if you can make a memory and get something, get a moment, it's all worth it. And I say that about his first home run ball. There are balls that you can actually monetize. Aaron Judge's 62nd home run ball. That's a good one. Albert Poole's is 700th. That's a good one. How about Tom Brady's last touchdown pass? The ball for his last touchdown pass. That's good. I have a ball. I don't know about, I don't know how, if you know this, but I have a son in college right now. And I'm paying for his college because I have a ball from Roger Clemens' final start in the big leagues in 2003 at Pro Player Stadium. Oh, it's not worth shit because he came back for years after that. But don't worry, Tom Brady's final final pass, final touchdown, he's never coming back. You can cash it in. Put it in a safe Give me a break. The number of pieces of memorabilia that are actually, actually worth it. People come up to you all the time. I have a signed ball of Wilton Guerrero and Vladimir Guerrero. What are the chances? Senior, not junior. Yeah, 300 bucks, 500 bucks, 600 bucks. Maybe, at best. De La Cruz's ball, it's not worth it. Cash it in, get something done. I had an argument with a guy that took me forever. And I could not get Ken Griffey's 600th home run ball. That was a big one. Ken Griffey at 600, right? A pro player, a guy catches it, will not give it back. And Griffey is not willing to pay what this guy wants. He kept the ball, sold the ball. I ended up spending half the damn game trying to negotiate his ball, wasting my time. What did I care? I thought it'd be cool to get the ball back for Griffey because I wanted a Griffey bat. That's <laughs> not true, actually. The most absurd ask I've ever heard in exchange for a milestone ball. Oh, I've got one for you. Giancarlo Stanton. He hit a home run and it was not his first, but it was some sort of home run and it was something that we wanted the ball back and the person wanted dinner with Giancarlo Stanton. I, of course, had to go to Giancarlo, who I think may have been Mike at the time, and say, hey, Mike, any interest in dinner? "Uh, No. All right. That's the ask for the ball. He's like, all right, great. That was a funny ask. I'm trying to think of another funny, funny ask. Oh, I've won better than dinner. I've won better than dinner. Ricky, you're going to remember this. We did something together in 2006, Ricky Nolasco. I'm blanking, Coca. I believe we set the record with Scott Olson, Ricky Nolasco, Annabelle Sanchez, and Josh Johnson. Was that a rotation in 06? I believe that we had all of those starters win 10 games. And four rookies have not ever won 10 games before. There's no way you're going to find this, Coca. I don't know if it's right or wrong. It sounds right, but I'm very, very tired and grumpy and my back hurts and I can't breathe. But I think I may be close. We wanted to get something back and it was something for you, Ricky. And uh, this person wanted your phone number. (laughs) I guess I should have asked you. I never even went to you on that. All right, good question on memorabilia. All right, next. A lot of you have asked this, and I wanted to cover this for you if you didn't mind. There's something going on with Ellie de la Cruz and Fernando Tatis. And we did a show. The show probably was maybe one-third as big or one-eighth as big as it is now. And the show we did, we talked about something called Big League Advantage. And it's gotten itself in the news, so I wanted to bring this back up. Big League Advantage is a company that goes to players who are young and says, here's the plan, Stan. We're gonna give you 50 grand right now, 100 grand right now, 400 grand right now. right now, buy your mama a house, buy yourself a car, get yourself from some old Navy clothes. God, that was clumsy. 4869. get yourself some clothes. We're gonna give you an advance. in return, We get 10% of you forever. Big League Advantage is the biggest Busconi in the entire world. Busconis are the people who screw the international players, the Dominicans, the Cubans, mostly the Cubans. I'll get you out of Cuba, but I'm going to take all your money and you may die. I'm not saying that Big League Advantage is a criminal enterprise. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that the next time you see a check cashing store or the next time you want a payroll advance and you walk into a store, they are charging you way too much for the service they're providing. They are preying on the desperate. Big League Advantage does the same thing. They go around and they make this opportunity available on the name of kindness, generosity. We've got you covered. And the funny part about big league advantage is that when they give money to a player, they don't ask for it back. And the majority of players never make enough in their career where it makes a difference that they gave away 10%. So the theory is for every Tatis who signed a $300 million contract, which means big league advantage takes 30 million of it because they're taking 10% of all his earnings. Big league advantage takes that 30 million. They pocket some and use the rest to buy out that many more players. And the players they're buying out, they're hoping they have scouts and they're looking around and they're thinking, this guy's got a chance to make it. This guy's got a chance to make it. But in baseball, it's so hard to make it. So why wouldn't the player take this advance? It's perfect. There are players who bet on themselves and there are players who don't. My criticism of big league advantage is not that they have a bad model. It's not bad at all. It's not that they're not doing favors for certain players. That's not it at all. My biggest issue with big league advantage is that like other big companies, like me, when it comes to my phone bill or to going skydiving, I sign stuff and I don't know what the hell I'm signing. How many times do you get an updated terms and agreements to whatever you're doing? Apple when you are Madison Square Garden, off the record, not off the record, total side note, Coca, I got an email because I bought a concert ticket once, so I'm on MSG's mailing list. They sent an updated version of their terms of agreement and privacy laws, and that is all because Jimmy Dolan is using facial recognition to decide who he wants in his building and who he doesn't, all in the name of security, but it's really in the name of pettiness. And Jim Doan leads the league in pettiness, which is quite a horse race, especially in our industry. Pettiness is currency. How many of you just click it? Raise your hand. Guilty. I ask this. Of all the people listening to this show today, how many of you read the terms of service, the disclosures, privacy? How many of you read your mortgage documents? Or did you just skip to the bottom? What do I owe each month? How many of you read your insurance documents for your health insurance? How many of you read if you have a 401k or when you sign an employee handbook? Show of hands at Metal Arc here. Anybody read the employee handbook? Anybody? Anyone have an employee handbook? I have a control room full of people. Not one response. Hello? Anybody alive out there? Radio nowhere. Is there anybody alive out there? We don't read it. That is my problem with big league advantage. These players don't know what they're doing. And what Big League Advantage says is, oh, no, we told them, we sat with them, we went through the documents. How is it not clear? News alert, it's not clear. In conclusion, when people are willing to give you something now, you better pay attention to what they want from you later. Hey, we're gonna get a bunch of celebrities, Samuel Jackson, all the athletes you love, Shaq, Tom Brady, and we're gonna give you a credit card. We're not gonna tell you what the interest rate is when you can't pay it because 98% of you won't be able to pay your credit card and then we're gonna crush you with interest rate. Hey, how about you buy some crypto? We're gonna make sexy commercials. We're gonna put people in bikinis on a beach. We're gonna put Snoopy Snoop, Drinking, don't look at the fine print. It happens in gambling, in alcohol, everything. There is a price to pay and all of the companies hide under the veil of disclosure. Of course, some of the companies have the commercials and at the end of the commercial, this will cause you to get anal fissures. Nine out of 10 people say they experience headaches and if you're one of these people, go to your doctor immediately. If you have an erection that lasts more than 24 hours, go seek medical assistance. That's at the end of every commercial for ED medicine. I wonder if that's a pointed commercial toward middle-aged people. Anyway, no one's paying attention. Shame on us. I can't blame the companies when they have you sign things. How many of you read your lease in your rental apartment? None of you. That's my issue with Big League Advantage. All right, Coca. We will have another mailbag for you. I promise you that. But for now, I appreciate your time. It's just business. This is nothing personal.
1: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?